It's June 11th, 1994, and Longview by Green Day is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Hello and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen. I'm Alec. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Uh, today, we'll be talking about Longview, the lead single uh, from Green Day's third album, Dookie. Longview is one of three number one singles from Dookie, but it spent just one week at number one. Here's a clip. My first note just says, Mike Jernt. <laughs> Man, you, you stole my thunder there. <laughs> I had a tight five about Mike Dernt. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. It was just, just the, the name, just Mike Dernt. You know what? Mike, Mike Dernt. Dernt. Mike Dernt is great. Is he? he? Yes, he is. Okay. When I was learning to play bass, I would just sit by the radio or I would play my, I'd put CDs on and I would, you know, play along with things. And Mike Dernt, he's, he, what he does great is very subtle, but he's a great bassist. He's very melodic, very tasteful, very song oriented, and uh, he's got great tone. <laughs> He usually plays a precision. Uh, that's a Fender bass guitar for you Philistines out there. <laughs> um, and he actually has a, a Fender precision that's named after him now. But he played a, a Gibson, in, at least in the music video for this and in the music video for Basket Case, too. But yeah, Mike Dernt, big fan. Cool. Um, I don't think Dernt is his Christian name. I think it was uh, uh, named after the sound of his bass, isn't it? Speaking of tone, <laughs> it's an onomatopoeia. Yep. Dern, 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 dern. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good name. This one was heavily censored on the radio. Do you remember the first couple times that you had some naughty records that you brought home? <laughs> I definitely didn't have this until... Uh, until I was in high school, specifically for that very reason. I was not allowed to have the Naughty Records. I remember going over to my bud Tom Giltro's house, and like as minute I walked into the kitchen, he was like, I got a CD with lots of swears on it. <laughs> Shout out to Tom. And it was, and it was this. <laughs> I remember those days. I had mixed feelings about it because I was such a good, well-behaved kid. Uh, Al, I, I, I'm with you. I, uh, the song made me feel a little dirty when I was in, uh, well, let's see. It would have been, (laughs) (laughs) God, uh, I was in, uh, well, it would have been at like the very end of fourth grade or just after, 
I finished fourth grade. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I definitely, uh, growing up in a Christian home, uh, at this stage in my life, I was predominantly listening to, uh, horrible, horrible Christian music. And, uh, you know, that's what my parents expected. (laughs) And, uh, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I knew that my parents wouldn't approve and that was important to me at the time. And so I, uh, avoided it. My brother was completely opposite. Um, he would have been in high school at this time. I think he would have just finished high school and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was the rebel in the family. Um, I would say, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think he, I don't think he cared for green day, but he didn't care about, um, you know, what my parents thought about, um, what he was listening to. I don't think, um, but I did as a young child. And so, yeah, I mostly avoided it. I think I secretly liked this song, but, uh, Mm -hmm. um, at this age, it was so, it was so wild to have, to hear a song with lots of cusses in it that I remember specifically being in a sleepover when I was probably 10 and somebody put on the song. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but somebody put on the song bad habit by offspring. And like that was like the highlight of the party was just to hear where the song stops and there's just a string of cusses. Oh, right. And uh, but I would have had to be I would have been really careful about something like that at home. I remember uh, getting the Presidents of the United States of America CD mm. and putting that on, and my parents had bought it for me. I think for my birthday when I was in fifth grade. So this is like a a year or so after this song came out, maybe two years even after this song had come out. And putting that first song, uh, Kitty. Yeah, Kitty, right. And, you know, everything's charming and everything's everything's going great. I'm playing it loud on the boombox in my room. And all of a sudden, those F you, Kitty, you're going to spend the night. And there, it gets louder and louder. And, like, I, I probably, I must have raced over to my boombox and, like, <laughs> in terror, yeah. turned the volume down. This uh, is a punk song. <laughs> Do you see any relation between this and 70s punk? I would say no. Uh I I think there are other songs on this album that you could say that about, but not this song. Uh the bass is too complex. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. I I love the bass. Like I I think that um the dirty the dirtiness of of this uh baseline is just magical i i, I think it's <laughs> you know arguably uh arguably one of the most memorable bass lines of the 90s i would say like as far as like yeah uh popular music goes at least like yeah uh, i still play it when i yeah the i'm sure you do al and, and, and you should <laughs> um yeah it, it's a great baseline to this day i think it's beautiful and uh um, it's just a little flashy for, you know, 70s punk uh, being mm-hmm. literally just the three chords and not much else. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they definitely were influenced by uh, the Ramones and um, Sex Pistols and uh, uh, what's the awesome band that I'm forgetting right now? Um, I would definitely say The Clash. Clash, what's the other uh UK punk band pop? Well, punk the other band? thing that I was gonna Buzz talk Cox? about was Buzzcocks, Buzz yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So suppose that I hear I hear a definite 
pleasant association with the Buzzcocks, and not just because the Buzzcocks have a song called Orgasm Addict, but that might play a role. <laughs> but um, from what I've read, Green Day didn't necessarily listen to that stuff. But oh, interesting. They listened to bands that were influenced by that stuff. Sure. Screeching Weasel. Yeah, I was going to say. And, I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say. I feel like they're like two generations removed from the Ramones, where it goes like Ramones right, right. to Descendants to uh, Screeching Weasel. You know, right to Green Day. It's all that sort of. Yeah, I mean, pop punk. They just mm-hmm. carried it forward. So, Spin called 1994 the year that punk broke. <laughs> and there's some evidence for that, I guess, because we're going to see again Offspring. Uh, breaking into the mainstream and some other things like that. Uh, some people are really suspicious of the entire concept of punk breaking into yeah. the mainstream. I was reading uh, this book by Adam Caress, where he says uh, this very skeptical thing about Green Day. He says they employed all of the recognizable punk signifiers, loud three-chord rock, the spiked hair, the piercings, the eyeliner, the anti-authority posturing. But where these signifiers had originally been anti-commercial statements, Green Day was shrewdly repurposing them in the interest of commercial success. Do you guys have, uh, do you feel suspicious when punk signifiers are applied to commercial efforts? Uh, I feel like that's a really weird thing to say in the midst of, you know, Nirvana-esque bands coming out. <laughs> like, that. it's not like they were trying to capitalize off of that, you know? Um, it's not like... Like, after Green Day came out, there were a lot of, like, Green Day ripoff bands. I could see mm-hmm. that. They were kind of, like, jumping on, on their success. But there wasn't a popular mainstream pop-punk band for Green Day to capitalize off of. Mm-hmm. Or even that, that sort of like culture or, um, you know, sense of fashion or anything like that, as lo- at least as, you know, for, from what I can remember. Uh, I, I have a question. Yeah. Um, if ni- 1994 is the year that punk broke, who else is that referring to aside from Green Day and The Offspring? Like, what were the other bands? Uh... I think Rancid was like 95. Um, And Outcome the Wolves was 95, I think, when that became popular. But they weren't nearly as popular as either of those bands, right? Like, were Rancid also on Epitaph? Yes. I I was going to say, I think that they were. But but they never, I mean, they weren't even close to the size of those two bands. And Epitaph was still an independent label. Yeah. I mean, it's not like No Effects was, you know, making millions. Mm-hmm. No, no, they were, I mean, small potatoes compared to, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm I just, 100% with you. I'm anytime that anybody talks about purity or authenticity, I almost immediately just start rolling my eyes. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems like a silly concept to me. I mean, people responded to this band and, um, and also I don't think that you should downplay the role that their melodicism and, mm-hmm. A lot of Green Day stuff is, you know, while it's punk, it's also, I would describe a lot of it as pretty Beatles-esque, especially a lot of album tracks on Dookie, where Mm. uh, they're great melodies, super Mm. accessible. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't bother me either. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah, I kind of call bullshit on it. Yeah. But I think they also kind of, like, uh, faced a lot of backlash for being sellouts within mm-hmm. their their smaller community. I know at Gilman, I think, you know, with their local venue. Um, I don't know if they weren't welcome or, you know, what happened, but uh, exactly. But I know that there was some backlash from... Um, from their their fans yeah well and then wasn't there the same kind of backlash with jawbreaker uh when they recorded with uh yeah uh, rob rob, Cavallo, rob Cavallo. right yeah yeah like yeah. yeah it's almost the same thing and that's in that i could see being skeptical of like somebody trying to jump jump on the back of green day's success but um i think jawbreaker were also fully aware of what you know the label was trying to do yeah with them well and sorry but dear you is their best album so yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they did do some cool stuff that's not particularly sellouty. And they're not necessarily like Fugazi, but they did tour on this massive album. They did tour in a van mm. uh, to keep ticket costs down. And they, they, they passed the savings on to their fans. They tried to keep their prices low. And, you know, like Nirvana, they found themselves playing for audiences that were kind of these like homophobic meatheads. Mm. And Green Day really like with their choices of opening acts, they really advocated for mm-hmm. kind of uh, a more diverse and open minded kind of way of looking at things. Pansy Division. Yeah, Pansy oh, Division. Wow. Uh, okay. t- toured yeah. in, in support of them for a while. Um, and that all seems kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, Rolling Stone ranked this as the number three best single of 1994. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's the number three best single on the album. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. I think, I, think I mean, it, it probably it's, is. It's one of the better cuts. I, I, think it's, it's, I think it's my favorite single, uh, but I, I definitely think there are album tracks that are like at least three or four album tracks that are better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it was nominated for some Grammys. And I guess now when they play the song, Billy Joe invites fans up on stage and he lets fans either sing or play guitar on the song. Oh, wow. That's yeah. neat. Cool. I, I love the, uh, like the nice blues lick during the outro. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so nice. Super subtle, yeah. And underrated, it, like absolutely. You, you don't really think of it when it comes to the song, but like, it'll get it. It's an earworm. Oh, it's my it's my favorite part. It's my favorite part of the song for sure. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, all the instruments are doing kind of great stuff on this. Yeah, yeah. So Green Day is kind of a the epitome of mainstream rock now. I don't know if people mm. are classifying them as classic rock yet in the year 2020, but surely it's not far off. How have your feelings about Green Day evolved over the decades? I, I know that when, was it Warning? Was that like the album around 2000? Yep. Yeah. That, that's where I got off, off, off the Green Day bus. Um, you... I was on board for Nimrod. I was on board for, I love Insomniac. Um, Oh, but, Nimrod was after Insomniac, right? Nimrod was the yeah. one with come uh Hitchin' a Ride. Hitchin' a Ride, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. riddance. Yeah, okay. And a couple of really Beatlesy songs. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
But uh, warning, there was a single, I think, called Minority that was just so obnoxious to me. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was bad. I was really annoyed by that. What's the hook on that song? Oh, I won't make you sing on the podcast. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I remember being annoyed by that song. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked. Um, I never... I'm getting it mixed up in my mind with a song that I love by uh, The Living Edge. Oh, um, shit, Al. <laughs> no, that, that album was good. I, I only remember the, the, the We don't need no one to tell us what to do. That one? I guess I... we're on, we're on, and nothing you can do because we don't need no what? one like you to tell us what to do. Was it The Living Edge or The Living End? Maybe it's The Living End. They're from New Zealand. Uh, they had a they had an upright bass. Oh God! And Ooh. they were a punk band, like a like a punk band with yeah. like, like a, a one hit wonder. A couple years from now, yeah, yeah. Um, I did not care for Green Day in my youth. Um, uh-huh. I th- I think that a big part of that was um, you know uh what what I talked about before with with my parents um. I, I came around on hitching a ride, actually. Um hit hitching, hitching a ride. Um <laughs> But uh I I actually just got into Dookie um God like two or three years ago. Um huh. like uh in its entirety. And and revisiting it again now I like it less than I did a couple of years ago. Um but yeah, uh I don't know. I, I don't really have a horse uh, in the race of, of Green Day. I don't really. Okay. Uh, they're, yeah, they're I definitely, when it comes to songs like Good Riddance and Boulevard of Broken Dreams, I just have no interest in Billy Joe as acoustic guitar balladeer. What is Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Uh, it might be their biggest single at this point. It's uh, It was kind of the biggest single from... Uh, the, the rock American oh, yeah. American uh, idiot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's kind of mopey. Say, I think American Idiot the single might be cool, mm. if I remember correctly. I, 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 I don't feel like I, I have. I have uh, um, good memories of that being kind of uh, kind of cool. It's something similar to what has happened to Dave Grohl, where there's just Ugh. such a Woof. Such a <laughs> a shtick. And as as the sort of the sentimentality in the band gets more and more sway, I just feel very uninterested. There's sort of this um wounded brand of anti authority masculinity that Billy Joe and Dave Grohl have both taken on that is so tiresome to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm turned off for other reasons and I don't necessarily recognize that as being one of them. Um my thought is, you know, I just think Dave Grohl's got to have his name on everything. He's got to be involved in absolutely everything and that's a fact just but that's a, a conversation for another Another episode. Well, we will not uh, have a Foo Fighters episode. Okay. They never. Well, they will not have a number one s- okay. song. Well, maybe I better get it all off my chest right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go for How it. How much G. time do you have? Go for it. No. Um, 
but but Billy Joe, uh, I mean, just Green Day in general. It's a it's a corporation at this point. It's right. it's you know it's its own business. It is it and it's just not very convincing or good or I don't know. I don't know what it would take. It would take a a lot to um, undo the <laughs> the last fifteen or twenty years of just sort of like commercial like going through the motions kind of like albums that they've put out where like nothing is interesting i know the last thing they could they put out seemed to be kind of like aggressive and i saw that they had this like like billboards that they were posting that said something like you know no uh no swedish producers and it was very like uh-huh. old man you know uh telling the kids to get off his lawn kind <laughs> of uh kind of thing uh that didn't seem to to go over too well and uh, I think that's kind of where they are right now. Uh, music video. Mm. Looks like uh, looks like it could be the set for Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, it's the oh. loser on the couch yeah. watching TV. Um, did you all in the mid '90s when you were teenagers or preteens? Did you spend a lot of time doing what Billy Joe does in the video? Uh, I'm, I'm referring to watching TV. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, sure. Sprawling out on the couch and, uh, you know, just, yeah, yeah, watching videos and being bored, eating junk food, mm-hmm. having a monkey crawl around, <laughs> bounce around the living room. Uh, lots of really unflattering uh, shots of his face, Billy Joe Armstrong. Yeah. He does look like he doesn't quite yet know how to work with the camera yeah i think he I, figures I mean, it out pretty quickly i also think it's you know like intentionally artsy camera angles mm-hmm. uh but yeah it, it, some of some of the angles and shots just really don't work fun that was that was the house that the the band used to live in i figured it was they shot the oh video. was That's it kind of cool. yeah um <laughs> album Album in general. This album sold 20 million copies. This is by far the biggest hit album that we've run into so far. Yeah, it's crazy how popular this was. I remember being on my school bus and seeing cheerleaders in the like seat in front of me with the tape, the cassette, listening to it and just being like, this is... This is a punk album that like <laughs> everybody, like seventh grade, you know, like everybody's listening to it. So, um, yeah, I, I was, I was always kind of taken aback by how popular it was. And I wasn't on board right away because like we said, it was kind of, you know, it just wasn't, it, I was a little young for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it took, you know, another two or three years, I think before I finally got the album and, uh, really learned to appreciate it. I will say that I think the highlight of the album is, uh, the transition into the song. I love oh, really? it when it, you know, it's because nice. you hear, um, you hear the single 
and it just starts off with the bass line. Right. But when you hear it in the context of the album and it goes from Chomp to, to Longview and it, there's that whole like, you know, long drum, you know, extended outro from Chomp and, and then it just like very seamlessly transitions into, uh, into Longview. I thought and this is what, this is track four. It's curious so. that they, they start the album with a couple of album tracks, and then it's only when we get to, I think, I think this is track four or five, and then we get into a string of singles. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all, all those singles are good. I like every single from this album. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all fine. Uh, so, and Longview was only number one for a week, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think it probably must have spent a lot of time on the charts otherwise. Yeah. But the, the other two that we will be discussing are Basket Case and When I Come Around. Right, right, right. So uh, the, the, the singles that we will not be talking about are Welcome to Paradise, which peaked at number seven on the modern rock chart. And that's I was shocked to favorite. see this. I wasn't surprised to hear that she had been released as a single, but I don't remember ever hearing it on the radio. I she peaked remember. at number five. She wow. peaked higher than Welcome to Paradise. It must have faded pretty quickly. I, I don't remember that ever being on the radio as well. Um, yeah, yeah, me neither. And it's I, probably my favorite song. It's good. Oh, wow. See, uh, Pulling Teeth is my jam. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I love Pulling Teeth. I think that uh, the trio of songs at the end um all by myself and uh, no before <laughs> uh what is it uh i don't know how to pronounce this Aminius sleepus uh yeah, in the end either. and fod uh okay. great great uh yeah. great ending to the album um the uh fod i think is like half of the song is um billy joe just uh strumming uh like miking directly like mike at the guitar strings oh uh, right right yeah right, right, right. it all you know and and him singing and then when just like the full band comes in it's awesome um really catchy and good um yeah yeah it's uh it, it's a good album i will say that there are other uh 90s popular pop punk albums that i like more um, I do like uh Blink Eighty Two's Enema of the State more. Ooh. Um <laughs> sorry, sorry, but it's true. Uh also uh my you know Christian boy uh phase. I loved uh Five Iron Frenzy. Uh they were a ska band, not a punk band. <laughs> uh <laughs> actually they were a punk band with horns. Tell Gwen um, Stefani what the difference is between those two things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i uh life in general by mxpx uh i i liked more than dookie and like more than dookie um uh don't at me bro <laughs> <laughs> well she and pulling teeth are both they're basically they they're, they're both songs that could be on hard days night if they were played with a little bit less intensity like they're they're very straightforwardly Beatles-esque songs, and I think yeah, they yeah. reveal something that Green Day kind of perfected on Nimrod. I'm actually looking to see right now what were those songs on Nimrod that were so worry rock. It was definitely one on that album that mm-hmm. was uh, super Beatlesy, and I think there was another one. I can't remember if it's maybe it's this song "Scattered." 
I don't know. Unfortunately, I, I don't remember. Uh, mm. I didn't listen to that one. But yeah, it's, I think it's a good album. Agreed. So this Rob Cavallo guy worked on Dookie, Insomniac, Nimrod, American Idiot, Bullet in a Bible, a whole bunch of Green Day stuff. He also did some Goo Goo Dolls albums. And then he went on to do some... Dear You by Jawbreaker. I didn't, I, I did not look into that, but he did end up working with Chemical Romance and Kid Rock later in his career. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> My Chemical Romance is almost more offensive than Kid Rock. Oh come. On. Uh, don't at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I think, I, I guess, generally speaking, about Green Day. Something that struck me thinking about about the band in the context of uh, this podcast is that I think Green Day is probably actually more influential uh, on all the bands, the rest of the bands and the sounds that, you know, the sounds of the bands that we'll hear moving forward more so than Nirvana. Like, I know that there's like interesting like uh there's you know the bands like Bush and things like that but i think the overall vibe of dookie um has more in common with a lot of the the bubble grunge bands um hmm. than nirvana does well well and they also i i mean i you i i would think that uh green day influenced the uh, you know the uh influx of pop punk that was popularized in the late 90s um wouldn't you say like Blink What Eighty Two and what are those other bands? Some Forty One and for sure. Oh yeah, Good Charlotte and like yeah. Open that beer, and drink <laughs> it. Uh, let's take a look at the charts. Yeah, no please. surprises elsewhere. I think it's going to be this way for a couple episodes. Mainstream rock chart is still topped by Shine by Collective Soul. And the pop chart is still topped by, I swear, by All for One. And this is not the last week that those two will remain on top. <laughs> so big deal stuff. Um, elsewhere on the modern rock charts... Uh, we're not seeing a whole lot different from last week, but a couple things worth mentioning. Firstly, for almost this entire time, the Pretenders have been in the top 10 on the modern rock chart. That seems strange to me. Yeah. It's a okay. song called Night what song in is My it? Veins. Oh, yeah. No. K- K-N-I-G-H-T. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately. Um, something I would like to chat about for a minute we have the appearance of The Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots (laughs) from The Crow soundtrack The Crow soundtrack Uh, I know that we all have strong feelings about the fact that we will not on this podcast listeners you'll be hearing this fact for the first time and so make sure you're sitting down we are not going to have a single episode about the Stone Temple Pilots. They do not have 
Bullshit. And all of this time, from 1994 to 2000, and all of their radio dominance, they do not have a single song that hit number one on the modern rock chart. They have a couple songs that hit number one on the mainstream rock chart, maybe even more than a couple. But um, I love my STP. Same. Hard same. Um, Interstate Love Song was on the mainstream yes. number ones. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And see, that belongs on, on the modern rock chart. That yeah. is a modern rock. Um, I know that in, in, in coming weeks, Vaseline will be in the top 10 on the modern rock charts for a while, but uh, never number one. Blame. Yeah. Dumb. So at some point in the future, we're going to have to do just a, a Stone Temple Pilots special. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, let's see anything else that's interesting a lot of the same stuff Uh, I think we got a new Gin Blossom song on the chart Until I Fall Away oh yeah a lesser single from New Miserable but good it's a good one that's great Um, I think this is the first time that we've seen Possession by Sarah McLachlan which is I, I believe her first chart appearance and that's a cool song I think that that's the one big single from that album, right? From Fumbling Toward Ecstasy. I think so. Uh, Backwater by the Meat Puppets. It's a good little Great. tune. Not a number one by any stretch, but but a nice little thing. I wanted to jump in and um, mention a comment that I'd seen on, on YouTube and um, subsequent responses. And I thought it was really just a very sweet story, um, which you don't always find in the YouTube comments. But this was from a uh, YouTube commenter named Carpo Sporophyte. Um, and he said, uh, why this, or they said, I guess I should say, why this band slash song means so much to me. I've had epilepsy since I was a kid, about 20 years now. Seizure drugs are notorious for having so many difficult side effects, such as depression, lethargy, anything to do with your normal brain function, but it comes down to dealing with the lesser of the evils. When I began taking these drugs, my entire persona changed. I stopped sports, became withdrawn, antisocial, stopped eating healthy. I was a zombie, soulless, much like how J.K. Rowling describes her depression Hmm. through the Dementors. But after some years, my doctor took me off the medicine to see if I'd outgrown the seizures. The first moment I felt a reawakening, it was in the car on the way to school. The radio was playing like always, but I'd never actually absorbed what I'd heard. Then I heard this bass line, and it woke me. I felt so strange, I felt alive. My seizures came back, and I had to go back on the medicine. But sometimes I can still recapture that feeling, that awakening. When I put on Green Day, love you guys. Wow. Always. And then, and then a commenter named Mini Fridge responded, "No one asked." <laughs> <laughs> and then another commenter named Raccoon seventeen seventy six said, "Mini Fridge, shut up." And Mini Fridge said, "At Raccoon seventeen seventy six, no you." <laughs> The end. Oh, <laughs> oh that is uh, sweet uh. and sad. <laughs> but I, 
that one something for everyone that hit in that me story. that hit me oh my god <laughs> um let's rate this thing um yeah so uh you know uh Good song. And I think it's really hard to write uh, well about being bored and frustrated. And I think this is like about as like a prototypical sort of song about that as, as you can get. So um, I give it uh, three <laughs> out of five dirts. All right. I've got a really high opinion of this one. I'm going to give it 4.5 out of five dirts. I think this is nearly, nearly Woo. perfect. It's a great song. Uh, yeah, it is great. Um, I will give it uh, four out of five uh, sweet blues licks at uh, outro by pop punk guitarist. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, Nirvana wannabe? Soft, no. I'm going to say no. No. Yeah, I, I, Nirvana's a punk-inspired band, but this is like punk, punk. Mm. I think it's a different thing. I think this, the the charts are a little more diverse than maybe some commentators give them credit for. Agreed. All right. Well, you can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail dot com. Ideally, email us a short voice memo about a song that's coming up further down the line. And you can know what's coming up further down the line if you listen along with our playlist on Spotify. Or Apple Music. And uh, I don't know about you all, but I'm getting a little... uh, I'm getting a little cranky from being all pent up. I feel like I should go for a bike ride. But I really need to oil the gears on my bike and get those sprockets wet. (laughs) (laughs) So... Remember to get out that WD-40 and wet those sprockets. Because <laughs> we'll be talking about Fall Down next week by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Bye. Bye. <laughs> So, I was looking at your list of songs, and I was fully expecting to want to say something about Green Day, because I have, like, a personal relationship with their music, and I've always loved the bass line on Longview. Um, so I was pretty surprised by myself when I had a weird gut reaction to selling the drama by live when I looked that song up. Um, you know, I can't really picture how that song sounds in my mind, even though I know what live sounds like um and I never really like formed a personal relationship with live or with their music so I guess maybe that's why their vocal and guitar tones are even more effective at being the sort of sound that doesn't like remind me of anything specific but takes me right back to the amorphous feeling of being like 12 and being a passenger in my dad's car riding along the Huron River in the summer probably eating like beef jerky or sunflower seeds or Dairy Queen Um, and I like the idea that there's still music I can hear like that, where I am not emotionally invested in it because of some particular thing, 
like I am with a lot of my favorite songs and artists, but it can kind of like jolt me into a different reality from the one I'm in right now. I think that's all.